We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back, score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch, or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA show on Dash Radio's NBA channel. Nick Whalen here, as always, with Alex Barutha. You can go to rotowire.com slash dash, D-A-S-H. That'll get you 10 days of free access to our website, rotowire.com. Alex, we were kind of debating when we wanted to record the show. We always record late on Tuesday night. You're, of course, hearing us on Wednesday. Um, in the past, you know, when, when we had three or four games going on in a, in a given day, we kind of had to pick and choose and, and usually record in the middle of one of them. You know, last week we, we started, I think like midway through the fourth quarter of the late game. This time we just decided to wait all the way through, uh, for game seven of Clippers nuggets. And I am very glad that we chose to do that. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was an incredible game and insane upset and really just like one of the biggest playoff collapses <laughs> by the Clippers yeah. ever. Yeah. I, I mean, there are a million ways that we could kind of decide to unpack this. And I, I think it, it will be framed more as a collapse by the Clippers 
as opposed to Denver coming back and grabbing the series, which is exactly what they did. Um, and, and the Clippers, I, I think the way that they went out, I mean, it was it was very reminiscent of the game six that we watched on Sunday night where they were up, I think, 16 in that game and got to the fourth quarter and the wheels just completely fell off. And once Denver started asserting itself and making its run, the Clippers just never punch back. And that's exactly what happened in this game too. They, they didn't have the lead all the way up, um, you know, closer to 20, like they did or in, in games earlier in the series that they also blew. But I mean, this was a game that was comfortably in the Clippers control late in the second quarter. Obviously there's a lot of, a lot of game left at that point, but you know, Denver didn't really take full control uh, until the fourth quarter. And, and like I said, it, ju- it just never felt like the Clippers, you know, had the time to, to punch back. It, it was just, it was really strange to to watch a team that talented with with those top two guys and especially the top one guy. I mean, you you can say what you want about Paul George. You know, there's a lot of people who probably aren't shocked that he finished this game four of 16, two for 11, had some catastrophically bad misses late in this game, <laughs> including a, a couple uh, corner threes, one that went off the side of the backboard from one corner and then a couple possessions later from the other corner, uh, barely grazed the front of the rim. Uh, he was terrible in this one, but... I was just so much more surprised that we never saw Kawhi Leonard just say, get out of the way. I'm shooting every single possession. You know, there's six minutes left in this game. Denver's making a run. They're up seven. They're up nine. They're up 11. And at at some point, I just kept saying to myself, like, all right, Kawhi's going to make a run here. Kawhi's going to score eight points in a row. And all of a sudden, it's going to be down to four. And Denver's going to be back on the ropes. And I was just so surprised that it never happened. Yeah. And yeah, the, the Clippers were just like, I, I don't really know how to describe their performance like in general, other than it just was kind of sleepy and lazy. Like they weren't being very aggressive. They were getting yeah. burned on. I, I mean, Doc Rivers had them double team Jokic almost any time he got the ball. Um, and that was clearly not working through like the first half. Like you could tell that was not going to work because L.A. would come double. Someone on Denver would cut. And Jokic would either, he'd break through the double team and he would either pass to that guy or if that guy was covered, uh, shoot the ball out to the guy from th- uh, at three-point line who would uh, essentially be wide open mm-hmm. uh, and, and make the shot there. And yeah, I mean, they, they blew a 12-point lead here. In game six, they blew a 19-point lead. In game five, they blew a 16-point lead. So, and I mean, we have to give credit to the Nuggets as well because yes. they did this against the Jazz too. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's 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 more likely that the Jazz are the ones or excuse me, the Nuggets are the ones doing this to other teams rather than two teams completely collapsing on their own. Right. Um, and that I mean, that just shows like I mean, I've liked this team all season. I've liked this team for the past two years. But you, when Jokic and Murray get that, especially they get their two man game going, it's so hard to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the past, it wasn't as you know, it wasn't as dominant because Murray is always a streaky shooter. But now he's just, I mean, he's actually tearing it up um, in the playoffs, you know, averaging like 25 points a game on like basically 50% shooting from the field and from three. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they've, they've been unbelievable. As great as Jokic was in this game, I, I do think if you, if you really have to start doling out credit and you want to rank where the credit goes, I, I feel like Murray is the, the number one reason they won this game for me. I mean, Jokic... The passing was incredible. Some of the rebounds he was pulling down in traffic. I mean, I, I assume his 22 rebounds are a career playoff high, <laughs> possibly even a career high. Um, I mean, he was he was absolutely incredible um, in all phases of the game and defensively, too. He had a block on Kawhi early in the fourth quarter. 
Um, and that was at the point that that he had four fouls. And it was early enough that he certainly did not want to pick up a fifth at that point. Just a really smart challenge at the rim. But the shots that Jamal Murray was hitting in this game, and th- this was kind of a throwback to that first round series that feels like so long ago already. But when he, when he was on that run um, to, to end the Utah series and, and kind of cooled off to begin this, this Clipper series. And really for most of the series was kept in check. It, w- it was Jokic who was doing a lot more of the heavy lifting, a lot more of the playmaking, uh, a lot more of the scoring. I mean, Jamal Murray had 21 points in game six. He had 26 points in game five, but I mean, he was nine of 25 in that game when he had 26 and, and the, the two games before that he combined for 32 points. So he really hadn't gotten loose in this series whatsoever. And I guess maybe you could make the argument that he was overdue uh, for one of these games. But I mean, even if you look at his last seven games since that 50 point game six against Utah, his, his seven games, not counting tonight, he was only averaging 19 points on 40% shooting. So you know, he had kind of reverted back to the Jamal Murray that that you talked about on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, you know, when you said, you know, look at his game log throughout the year. Every time he scores 35, he goes for 12 the next night and then he'll have a 40 point game and then he'll have two 15 point games. He had kind of reverted back to that mode. Um, but boy, I mean, when they absolutely needed him most, that that running fadeaway three uh, with about three minutes left, I think, to, yep. to seal this game, that was I mean, that's going to be a, a, kind of an all time iconic shot, I, I think, in Nuggets lore and. You know, one one thing watching this game, it was it was crazy to see the Clippers with this roster melt down. It was even crazier with no fans. You know, like I, I don't care whether this this game would have taken place in L.A. with them being the higher seed. I don't care where it is, it, whether it's in L.A. or Denver. It would have been absolutely insane to see, you know, how the crowd kind of would right. influence this game as it went on. Because, you know, like you said, it never felt like the Clippers woke up and never felt like Kawhi, you know, really sensed the moment. And I think with no crowd noise, it was really hard to grasp, like, Oh my God, this is happening because there there was no swell, there were no ebbs and flows of you know, or a, I guess in this case, it had this game been played at Staples, would have just kind of been that like really nervous murmur throughout the fourth quarter. A lot of times, I almost forget that there are no fans, but then there are moments like the Bam out of bio block, right? Um, you know, and and basically this collapse where it's just like I, I so desperately wish you know we had fans because there's so, been so many crazy moments in these playoffs, but yeah, Jamal Murray with 40 points, like he. I mean, he showed up for the game seven. Kawhi, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, and Marcus Morris combined for 42 points. So those four guys combined only had two more points than Murray had by himself. Um, yeah. And they, I mean, the the Nuggets, I mean, they the Nuggets do have good defensive personnel, at least with, they have a good front court defender in Paul Millsap, and they have a good backcourt defender in Gary Harris. And Jeremy Grant's pretty good as well on the wing. And when those guys are locked in, the Nuggets are, they can be good at defense. I know it's been a problem all the time. I know Michael, Michael Porter gets destroyed for his defense, but they have personnel to be a good one-on-one defending team. And some of that was good defense on, on Kawhi and Paul George. They weren't able to be aggressive and get to the rim a ton. And some of that was, I think, just like the the, the Clippers kind of choking to some extent and just missing mm-hmm. you know, the open jumpers that they, that they ended up getting. You mentioned Gary Harris um, and you, you know, we were talking on Slack while this game was going on and you kind of half jokingly mentioned like Gary Harris coming back for this team kind of changed everything. And I, like I said, I know you're half kidding, but I, I think that there is an actual point there. And, you know, he came back and right away had that one of nine shooting game in game seven against Utah, which, you know, they barely squeak out that that Mike Conley heave is 75 percent of the way in the rim. Um, and I, I think people were really down on Harris at that point. But 
Um, you know, not only has his shooting come around, he's shooting 50% from the field uh, over his last eight games, including this game, which was probably his best, I think, overall game of the postseason so far. 14 points, 6 of 11 from the field, had some tough finishes in the second half. Um, he had 16 points in 42 minutes in, in game six as well. Um, he's been huge. And I, I think, you know, they were the worst defense in the bubble during seeding play. They were one of the worst defenses, you know, through the first few games of that Utah series. You know, they were they were giving up 125, 124 in games one and two. Um, but since Gary Harris came back, I, I think that's kind of been the missing link for that defense. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I know we've kind of framed this as as more of a Clippers collapse. Do you do you think that's how this will be remembered more than anything? Or do you think that, you know, when, when we look back on these playoffs, whatever happened, you know, we'll, we'll remember this as this Nuggets team storming back from 3-1 for the second time, which this goes without saying, has never been done twice by any team in the same postseason. Yeah, I, some of that might depend on how far the Nuggets go. Yeah. Um, like if the Nuggets, if the Nuggets make the NBA Finals or if they win the NBA Finals, I'm sure this will be framed as like, we didn't know the Nuggets were this good. And the Clippers, like nobody knew the Nuggets were were like this. And it's not as much of a collapse as people thought at the time. But if the Nuggets, you know, fall to L, uh, the Lakers pretty quickly, I think people will wonder, you know, about the legitimacy of the Clippers. And, um, you know, um, people are also calling the question what happened against the Jazz as well. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think it uh, the narrative will kind of depend on what happens going forward. Mm -hmm. So getting, getting back to game seven itself, I mean... I wouldn't say the Nuggets played like a great game. You know, they, they did end up shooting uh, almost 50% from the field. You know, that that's solid, especially in, in, you know, how these game sevens fans or no fans tend to turn out, you know, kind of being these knockdown drag out slow pace games. That was certainly the pace tonight, uh, a pace of just under 92 uh, possessions, but 20 turnovers, a lot of yeah. careless turnovers. Like some of some of those Jamal Murray turnovers in the second half were like as bad as you're ever going to see. I mean, there was one out of a timeout where, you know, Jokic just kind of posting and like between the elbow and the corner looked to be pretty open and Murray just just whipped it out of bounds. You know, and that was still at the point where it looked like the Clippers had time to come back. And, you know, the, the Clippers just were never able to take advantage of those turnovers. The Nuggets, in my mind, inexplicably at the time, sat Nikola Jokic to end the third quarter, sat sat him to begin the fourth quarter. There was a timeout, I think, about three minutes in. So about the nine minute mark. And. I, that was obviously the time to bring Jokic back. You know, I think Mark Jackson was was talking about it coming out of the break, and everybody is stunned that they they roll with Mason Plumley for another few possessions. Plumley picks up a foul, he turns it over twice in his eight minutes. Like he he was a complete liability, and yet the Clippers did not hit a shot when Mason Plumley was on the court in the third or the fourth quarter. I mean, he it really wasn't anything Mason Plumley did. I don't want to give him too much credit, but. For, for the Clippers not to be able to win those minutes, um, especially in the fourth quarter, was, I, I think, pretty devastating. And even by the time Jokic came back in, there, there was plenty of time for the Clippers to crawl back into it. But for Mike Malone to be able to give him that long of a rest and then be confident that he'd be able to play the rest of the way, um, I guess in retrospect, knowing how this game played out, you know, with it being a, a, a kind of another blowout win, I guess, for Denver, um, you know, that, that was kind of a turning point, I think, at the time. I mean, another thing too, it was really surprising to like when I when I think about the like the Raptors playoff run last year with Kawhi, and I kind of just think back on like certain games or moments. A lot of it just comes back to like Kawhi Leonard shooting those like fourteen footers, like just like driving, 
pulling up for the 14 footers and just like not missing. And I don't I, like, I don't remember a ton of that in this game. I mean, he took 22 shots. Seven of those were threes, but he just wasn't able to knock those down. And without that, you know, they were kind of scrambling for some other mm-hmm. offensive options and Lou Williams, you know, got exposed. Um, Montrez Harrell, like a really good game, but obviously like that, that didn't, <laughs> it didn't end up mattering. And yeah, um, that, you know, this was kind of like, this is like the, if, if you're buying stock on piling onto like Paul George, it's like at an all time peak right now. Uh, Cause you know, everyone like is coming out with the, you know, playoff P memes and everything like that. Cause he, this whole season has been like, he's kind of been inconsistent. He's floated around. Um, he's seemed passive a lot. And it's like, that really just came out in this game where it's like, is he, is he like really ready for these moments? And is he really ready to be a legitimate number two? And I don't think that all falls on his shoulders in like this specific game seven. Cause he's had other moments in his career. Like he was right. like, people were talking about him like an MVP last season. And he was second he was in, in Indiana, MVP voting last year, last year. And when he was with Indiana, uh, he was going up against like LeBron in those in those really yeah. intense series and like it being really impressive and everything like that. And like I just don't know what's happening to him. Um, so this is that's that's something kind of strange too. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if we have time at the end of the show, we'll we'll dive into that a little bit and in, in the fantasy context of just like how do you evaluate Paul George as the individual player going forward? I mean, ten, 10 points on four of sixteen. Yeah. Two of 11 from three. Like we said, five turnovers in this game. One of those was a a major backbreaker midway through the fourth quarter. Um, just kind of a careless swing pass that that got picked off. I believe it was Gary Harris who then went and finished. It was. Yeah. Uh, went and finished over Patrick Beverly on the other end. You know, you mentioned Kawhi, too. It's it, just such a weird game for him. I mean, I had, I had said on the DraftKings show yesterday, like, I wouldn't be shocked if Kawhi took, like, 35 shots in this game. You know, you look back at game seven of round two last year, against Philly, he took 39 shots in that game. Like that was the model yeah. for not letting the team lose. Like he was just not sharing the ball because the best option was always going to be Kawhi Leonard shooting. And obviously it worked out for them. You know, he was settling for a lot of threes late in this game. They were pretty decent looks, I thought, but Kawhi Leonard did not attempt a free throw in a game seven against the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is... Paul George only had one. Paul George had one, right? I mean... You mentioned Harold. Montrez Harold had 20 points. He led the Clippers in scoring by a six-point margin over Kawhi, which is a whole different story. But like Montrez Harold finally showed up. Like this was by far his best game of the entire bubble. He had been terrible in the series. He was terrible in round one. You know, he missed a lot of time. Uh, I think he missed all the seeding games, right? With uh, I think a death in the family, a late arrival. Uh, but he finally comes through. Like they got some good minutes, I thought, out of Jamichael Green, who hit a three, had some tough finishes inside. Got away with a couple goaltends. It is what it is. Um, but, you know, it, it, basically they got the contributions, I thought, um, from the role players like Harold. Beverly had a nice first half. But, you know, even if Leonard and Paul George play just like 20% better, I still think there's a pretty good chance the Clippers win this game. It, it's just baffling that it went down like this. It just, yeah, it was really surprising how passive they were. Like just both ends of the court, especially offensive. Like we mentioned the free throws. Mm-hmm. Like how, like... It, it's it's crazy to me that they Leonard and Paul George only shot one combined free throw. And that was something I actually brought up to you. I was like, I feel like this game is going really fast. And that like at halftime or in the middle of the third, the teams have shot like a combined only 20 free throws. Like it just turned into a jump shooting game. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just really strange performance from everybody, you know, not driving to the basket on offense, not cutting off 
uh, cutters on defense. I mean, that was their main defensive issue as well is like, it's kind of like that lazy defense you see at like hour two of rec league yep. or something where it's just like guys are, are cutting into the lane and no one is stepping in to stop them. It's yeah. stuff like that where it just felt like they were they were just sleepy, they were lazy, their legs seemed tired, like they had no energy at all, which was just yeah. like a, it's a very bizarre. So I'm looking at quotes right now uh, as we record late Tuesday, Doc Rivers press conferences is going on and he he kind of had echoed what you just said. You know, he said a lot of these guys weren't in the shape that they would normally be, you know, at this point in the season under normal circumstances, you know, guys like Harold and and Beverly missed time, Lou Williams missed time. I mean, do, do you buy that as a legitimate excuse at this point? Not excuse, uh, but ex- more of an explanation. No, I, I don't know. I, I didn't want to use that. I didn't feel like that was a legitimate reason. Like the Bucks were upset by the heat, for example. Yeah. Um, like that, that never really crossed my mind. It didn't cross my mind here really. And, you know, obviously like Doc Rivers and other, you know, members of the coaching staff and whoever else, you know, on the team can like, obviously, like, I don't know. They know whether or not they were in like proper shape, but that's not something that like I'm ever, that I've ever been thinking about in, in this series or in really any other series. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I think it would be one thing if the Clippers were like the only team that that were going through this, but I, I don't think I don't know how you can kind of sit up there on a podium and say that when every other team like was dealing with the same issues, right? I mean, whether whether it's an opt out, whether it's an injury, whether it's somebody having to leave the bubble, basically every team uh, that's been involved in this in this entire restart has had to face similar adversity. You know, it'd be one thing if like Kawhi Leonard was out of the bubble and just joined before this round, you know, and he just, just didn't have, it was a little rusty. Like that, that would be something, but you know, I mean, these guys, this is the second round of the playoffs. You know, you, you, you can schedule practices. You know, I I understand there's, it's tough to replicate, you know, the, the chemistry that you can build over an entire season, taking a long break, not being able to see guys, not being able to practice. Like there, there is something to be said about that, but everybody's facing the same set of circumstances to me. Right. Yeah. Every you're, you're exactly right. Everybody, you know, and like, I don't even remember if they had anybody on their team that got COVID. Um, I can't I quite know. remember. I don't think I so. Mean, not, not, nothing confirmed that I know of. I can understand that at least being, you know, like, uh, a, you know, you can be like, like Russell Westbrook had COVID, for example. He played pretty awful. And I can yeah. understand people saying like, well, maybe he had some effects from that. But well, I do. I, I hate to cut you off, but I do love he, he mentioned that after they lost game five, he, he prefaced it with the like, look, I'm not a guy to make excuses. With that said, with that, with that said, I had the coronavirus. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they there was a way more ramp up time, honestly, than I thought there would be too, with the scrimmage games, the practices, the eight seeding games. We didn't even think there would be like, you know, right when this thing kind of started in terms of you know, our, it, it seemed like the NBA season would come back. We all just assumed it would be the playoff teams and like maybe three warm-up games or something. Yeah. And I feel like the teams, especially the teams at the top, like the Clippers, they weren't really ever in danger of losing their number two seed uh, for the most part. So, you know, they had time to like practice and, and stuff and work stuff out on the court. They weren't like, you know, they weren't like clawing for their playoff lives like the Blazers right. were. The Rotowire NBA show is brought to you by Prediction Strike. It's a fantasy sports stock market on which you can buy and sell shares of professional athletes as if they were stocks. Ever heard your friends say, I've had stock in that player since day one? Well, Prediction Strike makes that a real possibility. You had stock in Patrick Mahomes his rookie year. You knew this would happen. Now, that's a complete reality. 
Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. This is basically exactly how I felt about OJ Mayo from day one. Still only 32, by the way. Tore it up in China last season. Just something to keep an eye on. Maybe an opportunity to buy low on OJ Mayo on Prediction Strike. To get started, simply visit predictionstrike.com and create an account. Then deposit funds to buy, sell, and hold shares of your favorite players, just like you would with your real stock account. Each game is like an earnings report. If the player beats his projections, his stock moves up. It's that easy. You can trade your shares of players at any time, as long as the player is not currently playing in a game. You can get started with Prediction Strike today by visiting predictionstrike.com and sign up with our code ROTOWIRE to get an additional $10 off your first deposit of at least $20. That's code ROTOWIRE, R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E, for an additional 10 bucks with your first deposit of at least $20. All right, so let's look ahead now before we get to game one of, of Heat Celtics real quickly. I, I just came across the odds for the Lakers Nuggets Western Conference Finals. Not surprisingly, Lakers are huge favorites, minus 550 to win the series. Oh, Denver. Yeah, Denver plus 425. I, I mean, I, I, again, I'm not surprised that this is how things turn out. You have to remember, you know, these odds are meant to generate bets. They're not necessarily exactly what Vegas thinks will happen. But right. look, I mean, if you're the Lakers I don't think anybody in that locker room is going to admit it. I think they would rather play the Nuggets, even though the Nuggets just came back from two, three, one deficits, even though they have, you know, a guy in Jokic who I think we have to kind of start talking about as like a top five guy, potentially, especially if they're able to pull the upset again. Um, You have a player in Murray who I I don't know that the Lakers have a great player to guard him. I think Avery Bradley certainly would have been that guy. There's going to be some issues there, but not a lot of initial respect at least. Uh, from the odds makers putting the Lakers at minus 550. No, they clearly think it was a collapse by, <laughs> by, yeah. by the Clippers. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that was shocking. I didn't think it'd be as high as 550 for the Clippers. Like, I don't, or for the Lakers, excuse me, I don't think there's like any value on betting that. Um, I'd be way more inclined to bet the, the, the Nuggets on here. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting series because they're, I don't know. I mean, they're just a deep team and like the, the Lakers struggle with their depth, right? Like the Rondo has had to be the third, the Lakers third best player in the playoffs and like, which maybe we should have seen coming weirdly enough, but um, you know, it's like, how much do you trust Rondo to keep doing that? Is Cal Kuzma going to be then a legitimate fourth option? And it's like, we've seen the, the nuggets come out with like, you know, again, like they, they run like eight or nine deep legitimately in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, because Anthony Davis is going to be on Jokic, I assume, um, a ton of the time, if not the whole time, depending on how much Frank Vogel decides to play Dwight and JaVale. But, you know, because the Clippers, the Clippers' main, um, their, their hole in their defense was their center position, right? Because Zubac mm-hmm. and Harrell were not great defenders. So Anthony Davis going up against Jokic, that's something that, um, that's that's going to be a, you know, something that's going to potentially swing the series. And I think that's, if there's anything to point to like why the Clippers or why the Lakers would win this series relatively easily, it would be Anthony Davis on Jokic, like the entire series. Right. I I do think the Lakers are, are like uniquely positioned to play Denver really well. Uh, I I think they, they would have struggled a lot more with the Clippers just having to defend Kawhi Leonard for one. I mean, I, I think that would take a lot of energy out of LeBron um, chasing him around, you know, especially if that series would get to a game six or seven that you would think LeBron would be glued to him for most of those games. 
I think so. Just not having to worry about Kawhi is a, is a huge relief for the Lakers defense. Obviously, Jokic presents his own set of issues, but if there's any team that that has the personnel at least um, to contain Jokic, I think it is the Lakers. You mentioned Dwight Howard. I'm going to be very interested to see if they're willing to dust him off. I mean, he did not play in games two, three, or four against Houston, and he didn't play until the very end of game five, once that one was was basically a wrap. So, you know, they felt like they didn't need him against Houston. You know, do, do the Lakers continue to stick with this Anthony Davis at the five lineup? You know, maybe Dwight and JaVale play a combined, like, 10 minutes. That's kind of what we saw against Houston, and, and obviously it worked really well. I mean— the way that the Lakers played to close out that series, those last four games, was much more like we've seen the traditional LeBron team build, right, where you have four guys who can shoot around him, and the offense certainly looked better. Part of it was because guys like Danny Green and Alex Caruso and Rajon Rondo started hitting shots, um, but I, I think LeBron is certainly more comfortable playing that way, but at the same time, you know, 90% of what the Lakers have accomplished this year has come with that kind of bigger center-heavy lineup. Right. It wouldn't surprise me if we saw at the very least some some Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee minutes when Mason Plumlee's in the game yes. or like Paul Millsaps at the five or something like that. I could see that as a really easy way to get like Anthony Davis a breather and not play him at the five because he's allergic to the position. But the Lakers, it's interesting, too, because the Lakers have had two very like kind of strange first round series. Right. They play the Blazers, who basically come in limping, then Damian Lillard is done. So they don't, I mean, that series just ended as soon as it began, basically. Mm-hmm. So they walked right through that. And then they play the, the Rockets who went small ball um, and got basically dismantled by Anthony Davis because they don't have a center on their team. Um, so that series was kind of weird as well. And so like, I feel like we haven't really seen the Lakers um, like you, like you alluded to play a full playoff series in their like normal regular season form against a team that they pretty much the teams match up relatively evenly in terms of like mm-hmm. not placed out because Jokic is so unique, but like size um, and they're semi-traditional teams. So yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see how they, if they do go back to like their, their normal lineup. So I, I don't think you want to get too far ahead of yourself if you're the Lakers or if you're a Lakers fan, but could this have broken any better for the Lakers? I mean, obviously you'd prefer as the, the, they're the top remaining seed in terms of records. So, you know, they would have home court in a, in a final series. Obviously you'd prefer to have that kind of advantage, but all things considered, you do not have to play the Los Angeles Clippers. Yep. You, you know, you played a Houston team that, <clears throat> excuse me, was essentially out of gas. It seemed like, or had given up by the time you got there, you don't have to worry about the bucks. You don't have to worry about the Raptors. Uh, you know, obviously Miami and Boston probably look a little more difficult than we thought they would a couple of months ago. But I think if you had told Lakers fans at the time of the shutdown, you know, hey, the season's going to resume and we're going to fast forward to the West Finals. You're going to be playing the Denver Nuggets, who are just coming off of a seven game, sw- you know, comeback against the Clippers. Uh, I-, I think you'd feel pretty good about this. Yeah, this is about I think this is maybe the best scenario the Lakers could have hoped for. Right. I, I think other than like Nets magic being the East final. I think this is about as good as this could have gone. I mean, but imagine how good Karis Levert would have had to play. Yeah, true. At that point, we'd be talking about the Nets like we are the Nuggets. Yeah. Um, okay, so real quickly before we get to the East, what what is your read uh, on this series? We'll have a, a full picks column uh, up on the site on Wednesday, but initially, you know, what are you thinking? Who wins the series? How many games? You know, if it is the Lakers, how much of a fight can the Nuggets put up? Um... 
my like initial gut feeling is Lakers in six, but uh, I would I I would be shocked if this game if this was like less than six games. You know, I think if I think if the over under on like the series games number was five and a half, I would definitely take the over. I think the Lakers talent will ultimately win out, but like I don't make that pick with like a a really high like confidence rating because I again while I do think Anthony Davis will give Jokic some trouble. I think the Lakers' depth is is it's still something I'm concerned about, mm-hmm. um, and I don't feel like it's really really been tested yet. And I think the Nuggets can do that. But how about you though? I think we'll know pretty early in the series how this is going to go, right? I, I think the Lakers kind of limped into round one. You know, they they dropped game one against the Blazers. Uh, you know, game two or round two against Houston, they lose game one, uh, and obviously in both of those series they were able to to take care of business over the next four games, but. I think we'll like LeBron and, and Davis, like what their mindset is right away in game one, I, I think will set the tone for the series. Like if the Lakers are all business, they come in, you know, they'll be favored probably by eight or nine points in game one. And they just pick up where they left off last round. And it's a, a 15 point convincing win. You know, the defense is suffocating. I mean, they, the way that they put the clamps on the Rockets, especially in the second half and especially in the fourth quarter yeah. of those last four games was incredibly impressive. And if they were able to do that same thing against the Nuggets in a game one, I, I think we'll know very early if the Lakers are confident and, and believe that they can close this out quickly. If they lose another game one and, you know, all of a sudden they, you know, they kind of start playing with their food again. I don't think you want to do this with Denver. Um, based on what we've seen these last two rounds, right. I think we have a lot more confidence that Denver would be able to uh, stick around or kind of continue to to put its foot on the gas, you know, in the way that Portland and Houston weren't. So We'll see. I mean, I, I think my initial leaning is probably Lakers in six. Would I be shocked if it was Lakers in five? No. Would I be shocked if it was Denver in seven? Not really at this point. I don't, I don't know how you could say that because I think Denver beating the Clippers, you know, it, it, it is more shocking to me, I guess, than Denver beating the Lakers. If, if you could like flop those those teams, you know, if they had played the Lakers in round two, I would have been like, yeah, I, I could kind of see this. Whereas I really thought this this Clippers team was going to be pretty infallible until maybe the finals. I, I'm I'm with you on that. I thought they would win the title, uh, yeah, the Clippers. And I'm again surprised the odds makers are not, uh, you know, giving shorter odds to the Nuggets considering they beat the Clippers. But um, that must just be like a, I don't know. I, I really don't know what that is. Again, they must just think it's a complete Clippers collapse, and they're giving no credit to the the Nuggets despite them having done this, you know, comeback twice. Um, so yeah, I'm with you though. I think. I mean, this will be a really fun series because I think the Nuggets are, you know, one of the most fun teams in the league and so are the yeah. Lakers. And I'm just really excited for um, I'm just really excited to see this series. I will say, I think this is the most surprising single series result that I can remember uh, in a series when injuries did not play a factor. You know, like Golden State losing to Toronto last year to me was a pretty huge upset based on how stacked that team was. But obviously they didn't have Kevin Durant. So right. You know, that's kind of a stain on it. And and that's been the case over a lot of big series over the years. I, I think this is up there with like Miami Dallas in 2011. Yep. That feels kind of because the heat, the heat had no excuses, you know, like in, in a lot of these, these losses, there's always like, well, Chris Paul got hurt. Well, James Harden might've been on drugs, you know, in that game seven <laughs> against the Spurs, whatever. <laughs> like there's just nothing to point to. Yeah. I guess you have the, you have the bubble as kind of the, the big elephant in the room, but there's just nothing to fall back on in this one. And I, I think that kind of ups the ante in terms of, um, you know, how historical this kind of upset is. 
Well, and it's also like first year super teams, right? Yep. Like between the the Heat and the Clippers here, so that that I think give like some extent, and maybe that is like I saw a Lou Williams quote that he said something about like they didn't have the chemistry to pull the series off, and so maybe some of that gets um, exacerbated by the bubble because I think that was like an early take by some people is that the teams with great chemistry would really thrive in the bubble, right? Because of kind of the nature, just the nature of it, and the teams with subpar chemistry would would not do as well and so i think maybe that does that does play a factor all right let's switch gears to game one of the eastern conference finals uh the east is, has been ahead of the west for the most part in a lot of these series uh, as the schedule is broken but uh another game where we saw one team that that looked like i thought the better team for the majority of the game uh let it slip away late this went into overtime um a, a very questionable uh flop slash uh, I guess blocking foul was called um, <laughs> on on Derek Jones late in the game that allowed Boston to basically get a free point on a free throw, and and then you know ultimately had a chance to to win the game. Jason Tatum rims out on a a long kind of sidestep three at the buzzer of regulation. Uh, honestly, that shot was kind of the story at the end of the game because it, it felt like Jason Tatum was doing a lot of settling down the stretch for Boston. Still played well. I mean, put up 30, 14, and five, had three steals, two blocks. I mean, he was he was the best player on the floor for the Celtics. But as we've seen Miami do time and time again in these playoffs, um, just some huge plays by Jimmy Butler down the stretch. He had to go ahead and one layup uh, late in the game. And then, I mean, it, unfortunately, this play is probably going to be buried, you know, on on Twitter and on Sports Talk on Wednesday just because of what happened in the late game. But, I mean, this Bam Adebayo block, which I don't know if you saw Ooh. this, Alex, was called by Magic Johnson the greatest defensive play in the history of NBA playoff basketball. <laughs> I saw some people with those takes on Twitter. I saw I saw people coming out with like this Look, is one of the best blocks ever. Oh, it's definitely one of the best blocks ever. I, I think I, I think we got everybody kind of universally agreed that the Le, the LeBron block in 2016 t- takes the cake. I'm I'm willing to at least put this one in that category. I think the fact that there were no fans and there like that kind of takes away from what would have been like an absolutely insane reaction whether yes. this game was in Boston or Miami. Um, so like it it kind of didn't feel like it had that same level of uh of importance and it also wasn't game seven of the nba finals with a team coming back from three one so that's part of it but i mean in terms of just like overall impressive athletic plays this is like a 15 out of 10 yeah the athleticism with the game on the line like it's at the rim like tatum was like he had completed like 90 percent of the dunk like I, the ball basically yeah. hit was about to go in and bam his wrist was like bent back right. um absolutely an insane play um by bam who again like continues to play extremely well like 18 points in this game on 12 field goal attempts nine assists six rebounds they didn't like i mean the celtics damn an answer for him among other guys but like he he shot 11 free throws which you know that's that's huge as well but yeah like and man i like how did this version of Dragic happen like i knew Dragic was good like we all knew Dragic was really good they made an Mm all-star game either last year or the, the year before but like where did this come from? Like he was basically kind of rested during yeah. the regular season, it seems like. And then he comes out and he's like the be- one of the best point guards in the entire playoffs. Yeah, I mean, you touched on how good Adebayo was. He had a monster second half, was a little bit quiet early on. Um, I mean, I I think he could do quite a bit more in this series, honestly. I, I think 18 and 9 for him was was somewhat of a quiet game. Drogic was the best player for Miami in this game. And I mean, he's been their best player in like 60% of their playoff games so far. I mean, he has been absolutely incredible. You nailed it. I mean, he, like you said, in the regular season, 
28 minutes per game, you know, was backing up Kendrick Nunn for the vast majority of the season. <laughs> right. And it almost seems like Kendrick Nunn getting COVID and, and leaving the bubble, um, like that was kind of a blessing in disguise, I think. You know, they were good with Kendrick Nunn, but it felt like they had not really unleashed full Drogic. You know, using him in that bench role, it felt like you were you're kind of getting like 80% of what he is. And putting him back in the starting lineup, empowering him uh, the way that they have has you know, completely unleash him. I'm, I'm trying to pull up his averages right now. This doesn't include game one against Boston, but coming into Tuesday night, I mean, he's averaging 21 points per game on 46% shooting, 38% from three on seven attempts per game. Um, I mean, this this looks like the guy from, I feel like four or five years ago when, you know, we were talking about him as, you know, kind of maybe one of the five or six best point guards in the league. And for a while there, it, you know, it seemed like he was always banged up with some sort of minor injury. Um, only played 36 games in 2018. Um, but for him to now fully be healthy and doing this, you know, in, in his almost his mid thirties at this point, uh, he's been, I, I think he's kind of low key been the heat's MVP so far in the playoffs. I think so. Yeah. Um, Duncan Robinson has struggled a little bit, but they like, I mean, you have six guys scoring at least 10 points a game in these playoffs. Um, and like I, I another guy like Tyler hero, like I, like, I didn't think he would be doing this. Like I, we all knew he was good. He had a great rookie season. He got injured for a big chunk of it. So I think people kind of forgot like how good he was playing and the moments that he was having the regular season, but like his confidence and his like clutch shot making has absolutely been insane for the heat. It was insane against the bucks. Um, he was doing it again, this game and uh, he's like really good as well. It's, it's really hard to like, it's really hard to overstate um like how well Miami plays as an overall team yeah I mean they're just they're just never out of any games whatsoever Boston it feels like Boston's done this in every one of their playoff games so far but they came out you know immediately Marcus Smart hits like seven three-pointers in the first two minutes and they're up like 19 to 6 and you know if you're a fan of of the team that's down you're usually like all right here we go again this is over whatever with Miami you just never feel that way like it, it doesn't matter how how the start is, you know, what the run is. They could there could be giving up a 10-0 run. You just feel like coming out of a timeout, they're gonna have a play, they're gonna get a basket, everybody's focused, everybody's on the same page. Um, I mean it's it's been an extremely impressive, just cohesive run for them. And I, I think in some ways it you know, as people who are are in Wisconsin and you know kind of quasi support the Bucks, it makes you feel a little bit better about that, at least. Like the, yeah, yeah. I think the Bucks got beat by the better team, right? You know, I don't I don't know that, that was necessarily a choke job by Giannis or a choke job by Bud or, or by the Bucks. I, I think the Heat just might be the better team. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I, I picked the Heat to win the series in seven, and it was just like, I after what they, I mean, they, they lost one playoff game coming into the series, right? Like, they swept yeah. Indiana, which was not easy, by the way. Like, Indiana was banged up. They didn't have Sabonis, but still sweeping them is impressive. And they come out and they do that to the Bucks. Um, and by game two, I was like, I knew the bucks were done. Like it was so it, you could just watch and you could tell, like it wasn't going to get better. Yep. Um, and the amount of confidence that like you just have in the heat, cause they're so confident going into the series is for me was really high. And like the Celtics, I didn't feel the same way about how, you know, they couldn't get it done against the, um, against the Raptors. Like they, they really mm-hmm. struggled. Like they, they barely closed out. And, um, so I just felt like the heat were the, the better team coming into the series and, um, yeah, Boston let, let this one slip away. I mean, they were, they were up by 14 twice in this game, once in the middle of the first and then beginning of the third. Yeah. But, um, as you alluded to the, the heat, they, they just, they never go away. 
I want to go back to Hero. Um, like sure. you said, I, I don't think any anybody, us draft analysts, like I don't think anybody really had like major takes on Tyler Hero coming into the year. It was like, okay, I like that. You know, going to Miami, that's right. a good spot for somebody who needs to develop. You know, maybe he can play some minutes as like the ninth or tenth man. That'd be great. In no world did I picture Tyler Hero hitting clutch threes, playing major minutes. I mean, what did he play? 40 minutes off the bench in this game. Um, I mean, he's he's one of their trusted closing guys. Like you said, Duncan Robinson kind of struggled in this one, uh, wasn't trusted much down the stretch, only played 17 minutes. Like Tyler Hero is now in the closing five for the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I, I never, never saw that coming this early in his career. I, I thought it was interesting Late last week, uh, Dan Levitard was on Zach Lowe's podcast, and he had mentioned that during the draft process, uh, apparently Hero went in and, you know, as you'd expect, the Heat have a pretty rigorous workout that they put their prospects through. And, you know, at the end, uh, you go through this, you know, three-point shooting drill, and apparently Tyler Hero performed better in that drill than any player that the Heat had ever worked out. And that's what convinced them uh, that he was the guy. But beyond that, Levitard said that that people within the Heat truly believe that when they took hero he could be a better player than devin booker and like that that sounds insane i i can't i still can't really picture that happening but i mean over his last 16 games all in the bubble 16 and a half points five rebounds three and a half assists 46 40 92 shooting splits yeah it's crazy like i again like maybe i maybe it's because he's white maybe it's because he looks <laughs> he's one of the few players in the league you know, I'm I'm 28, so like I'm to the point where I'm, we're older than most of the guys in the league at this point. A lot of those guys are are such like man children that they just look older. You know, it's like I don't feel when I watch Jason Tatum, I don't feel like I'm watching a guy who's five years younger than me. You know, he just right. looks he just looks the part of an NBA star. Like Tyler Hero, legit looks his age, and it's weird to see like basically a kid out there, you know, going toe to toe with Kemba Walker at the end of a playoff game. I, I don't know. I don't know what his ceiling is at this point. Like, could you ever see him being like the number one, one a guy uh, on a good team like Devin Booker is right now? I don't know because I have such a hard time, like really remembering what Devin Booker was like as a rookie. Like I have his stats pulled up right now. 19 year old Devin Booker averaged 14 points on 42 from the field, 34 from three, 84 from the free throw line, two and a half rebounds, 2.6 assists. That's basically Tyler hero as a rookie, right? And Tyler uh, Hero is doing percentages, yeah. Yeah, Tyler Hero is doing this, but better percentages in the playoffs. So if you kind of just go by rookie year trajectories, then yeah, like sure, why not? Um, Devin Booker quickly got up to 20 points a game. And um, I'm not sure that's like quite in the cards for Hero, considering Jimmy Butler is there and Adebayo's there. But I, I, I can't like, <laughs> I can't say that won't happen. Right. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, when we, in the off season, we do all kinds of exercises, you know, for, for articles and for podcasts and just for fun, you know, talking about, you know, who are the, the top 10 guys you'd want to start a team with or the top 10 assets under 22 years old. Like he's going to work his way onto some of these lists. Right. I mean, I, I think the big thing for me is he's become, he's become a lot more than just a spot up shooter. I think that's what he was typecast as coming out of Kentucky. That was always wrong. I mean, I, I think you, you see a white guy who, who has a nice shooting stroke right? and you're just like, well, hopefully he can be Kyle Korver. Hopefully he can be Jason Capono, whatever. Like that's never really been his game. You know, he, he really is kind of a, a Devin Booker clone. I, I think it's pretty clear. That's the guy he's, he's molded himself after. And we're now starting to see more of like the playmaking components, the rebounding components. You know, I don't think Kyle Korver had a lot of games where he was pulling down eight rebounds 
uh, early in his career or at any point in his career. Like Tyler Hero missed a triple double in this game by one assist. He finished with 11 rebounds, nine assists and 12 points. Um, and, and as you know, like a lot of these guys, you know, guys who go on to have really good, productive all-star level careers, a lot of times you see that passing early on. You know, there's not a lot of guys who average like 20 points, eight rebounds, one assist, and then all of a sudden average eight assists later in their career. Like it's usually there right away. Right. And when you watch him, you can tell even when he's not getting assists or even when he's not scoring, like the Heat completely trust him to handle the ball. When he's handling the ball and he's coming around a screen, it never really feels like he's going to turn it over. He has, he's really good keeping the ball low. Um, like you can just tell he's a playmaker. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy that he's doing this in the playoffs that like when I watch him, I've, I have he does not feel like a rookie out there. I guess that's like my main point mm. It's the kind of the kind of confidence that he'd have in him um, to just take the shots when he's open to handle the ball in high pressure situations playing 30 minutes a game. It does not feel like he is a rookie out there. So um, I, I, I again, like I don't know what it's going to turn into, but if he becomes like the third option for this team as soon as like next season. That, I mean, that seems like it could easily be the case. Yeah. I mean, the, the Heat's future trajectory now is so much different than it was even like four weeks ago. You know, I, I think when Butler initially signed there, it was a, all right, he just wants to go be the man somewhere. All right, good luck being the five seed for the next few years. You know, all of a sudden that that turns out to be a perfect fit. I think Bam Adebayo takes a bigger step forward than than even his biggest supporters thought he would. Um, you know, you're able to execute the Iguodala trade. Tyler Hero looks like an absolute home run in the draft. You have this cap space coming up. Like everything is kind of breaking right for them right now. And I think they have a chance if they play things right, salary cap wise, free agency wise to, to really turn this core into something big over the next, you know, decade, really, if you, if you play it out. Yeah. I mean, that's again, like it's, it's become almost like a cliche at this point, but the, the like heat culture with Mm -hmm. like Pat Riley and Spolstra and, you know, like top down, it really does like it's it's holding true right now. Like it's really this is the kind of stuff that. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're, we're seeing it bear out. I'm surprised we haven't seen more like copycats of this so far or teams, you know, really just trying to rip off that. Like where, where's like the Pistons culture? <laughs> the Heat are the um, only team like, if, like they're the only team that seems to have this. I'm imagining. Yeah, I'm just imagining like the Pistons putting guys through like right. the most insane workouts possible. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's, it's it's that Hornets culture, baby. Can't get this anywhere else. All right, so let's let's go back to the Clippers a little bit, and we, we can mix in a little bit of Rockets talk here as well. But uh, the, you know, anytime a team gets eliminated in the playoffs, you know, you immediately start to look ahead. That's just the nature of the NBA right now. And both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are only under contract through next year. You know, you would think they they would at least run it back with a similar roster next season. Although Montrezl Harrell set to hit free agency. I believe Jermichael Green is a free agent as well, so there might need to be some retooling. But the Clippers will be back. The Rockets, for the most part, uh, kind of in the same boat. I mean, you're 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 married to James Harden for now. You're you're married to Russell Westbrook's contract at least, and that one, the value of Westbrook as a trade asset has gone. You know, it's just up and down, up and down throughout the year. You know, just pick a random date, and he could be extremely tradable. Uh, after this series against the Lakers, I, I think his value is back, kind of back to bottoming out. Um, but we should, we should touch on the news, you know, over the weekend that Mike D'Antoni will not be back with Houston. It sounds like Daryl Morey is still going to be in place. Uh, there's been talks of Teron Liu, Chauncey Billups potentially being in play to coach that team. Um, my question is with, with D'Antoni out, does this mark the end of 
the, the current style of Rockets basketball that we've gotten so used to, you know, the, the ISO heavy, the five shooters, the no center, like, do they continue to play that way? Or does a new coach come in and say, no, I actually want a real center on my roster. It's, it's almost like impossible for me to separate Harden from like that style of play. Like I know like Clint Capella was there like very, uh, like extremely recently, like this season, but just like the, the ISO heavy, just kind of like that Harden 40% usage style. It's really hard for me to separate him from that and say like, no, maybe he can, he can, he can come back down to like, uh, you know, scoring like 25 points a game with 10, with like eight assists and just like really focus on like, you know, getting open looks and like running a real offense with guys cutting. And like, it's, it's really hard for me to imagine that. So like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's really fascinating to me. Cause I'm, I'm also completely out on like Russell Westbrook being a, a can like a, a good contributing part of that kind of, of like this team that was constructed like this, this specific version of small ball rockets. I don't think Russell Westbrook was made for it. Um, it's just not, it, I, I don't think he makes sense with Hargan, the whole thing. So, and again, I don't know how much you can really change that with this current roster. Um, I, it's really fascinating. Cause I, I don't know, like, is whoever's going to come in, are they going to do like a D'Antoni, like pseudo D'Antoni impression? Is it going to be D'Antoni's offense? But like, 20% different. It's, I have no idea. So James Harden is, as you know, this version of James Harden has been around longer than Mike D'Antoni has coached the Rockets, but you know, I, I think they've really dove into, you know, this current style, obviously under D'Antoni. So I, I don't think like they're all of a sudden just going to start playing like every other team and they're going to attempt 20 fewer threes than they did this past year. Like that's just kind of how this roster is constructed. You can only do so much, over the course of one offseason, I, d- I don't know what what makes sense, you know, as far as Westbrook. I, I think, like, chemistry-wise, that seemed to work out okay, right? Like, things move so quickly in the NBA that a, a lot of people thought the Rockets were going to be a, a really tough matchup for the Lakers. Uh, I think they, they struggled to close out OKC, but, but people were pretty satisfied with how Houston played during seeding games. And, you know, even, even after that, those struggles in round one, there was a lot of optimism around this team. And you know, four games later, all that is gone. I, I just wonder if, is there an argument that, you know, you give this team a full season of those two guys playing together? Because for the most part, it worked, right? Like during the regular season, Westbrook was, his career kind of looked like it was back on the upswing after after kind of hitting rock bottom. And now it's just kind of back to, to that rock bottom space once again. So I, I don't think that they're at, in a position where they absolutely have to dump Westbrook. But you obviously are going to see what's out there. You know, there was, there was some suggestion I saw of like, could you flip Westbrook for Blake Griffin? And that's a, a major, major risk in terms of Griffin's injuries. But from a fit perspective, like why not? I, I honestly love that trade. I don't oh, hate it. God. No, I just, I, I think it would just be so much fun. Yeah. Blake Griffin playing small ball center, yeah. uh, stretch five. Actually, I, I love that trade. Um, Westbrook, like, Westbrook like single-handedly willing the Pistons to 14 yes. wins. Exactly. We get to see the the peak Westbrook again. Right. His team going 500, him averaging 30, 10, and 10, just absolutely like, you know, shooting horribly from the field. He's going like five for 30, you know, five times in the season. Um, I think that would honestly be great for both parties. But like, I'm, I just like, you know, I'm Harden and Westbrook, like, we know those guys are great during the regular season. We know they win regular season games. 
but it's just this thing where I'm Westbrook is just not proven to be like a winning playoff player when mm-hmm. he's a number one or a number two guy. Like there's, there's really no history of that. And again, I don't, I don't think like the chemistry with Chris Paul and James Harden is what caused the trade to happen, right? Like they didn't like each yep. other anymore. And I think getting Westbrook was the right call. Like, I'm not saying I wouldn't have done that. Cause I think you get like, that's about as good of talent as you could possibly get in that trade. I just think it's not, it's, it's far from ideal. Um, but again, this team is so strange that it's hard to know what to think of it. All right. So we have like three more minutes before we have to hop off two questions. One, would it make more sense instead of instead of a pie in the sky, you know, Westbrook for another star? Let's let's just plug and play another all star. See if this one works. Does it make more sense to try to sell off Westbrook to a bad team that's maybe looking to fill some seats, maybe willing to take on that contract? You maybe have to attach a pick or attach something of, of appeal to make that work. Is it better to try to return just some like random rotation pieces just to give you a few more wings or a few more guards? Um, and then part two of the question would you entertain trading James Harden at this point? Obviously, he's a, a better player than Russell Westbrook. He's been significantly more productive throughout his career. But, I mean, at this point, the, the playoff record speaks for itself, right? I, I don't know how many times you want to keep running into that wall with this Harden-led offense. Right. Um, that's a really tough question. I think, I think, I don't know, because if it's, if it's a Harden-run offense and he's at, like, this insanely high usage rate, the role players shouldn't have to be like that good, right? Like they shouldn't have to be, they should be three and D guys. And, you know, maybe you can get like, you know, some more like Eric Gordon types or like a legitimate center. I feel like, I feel like the NBA is still like a, a, a league where you want as much talent as possible at the top and you kind of figure everything else out later. Um, so I think, I think, I think I still would trade for, I would try to trade for another star as weird and unrealistic as that would be. Um, and then I don't think I would trade Harden. I he's too good. I, I, you would only trade him. I think if, uh, uh, he was an expiring contract and he said he wanted to leave basically, or he lets you know so far in advance that he wanted to leave. Yeah, I, I I'm with you on that. I, I think it would almost have to come from ownership, right? Where you'd say like, all right, we want to rebuild, you know, or, I'm sick of seeing the same result over and over. <laughs> sick of watching value. James Harden. Right. And like, I don't know, that's not totally out of the question for, for Tina to do that, is it? I don't know. Um, but the difference with him and Westbrook is like, if you're, if you're trading James Harden, you're not just hoping to get parts back. Like you're getting significant pieces and you know, the younger he is, the easier that trade is to make, the more you're getting back. Like it, it's appealing at least. I mean, I, I think you never want to trade a star player who's an MVP and is that productive, but um, you know, I think when, when you survey the landscape and if, if you sent out a memo to all 29 other teams and said, Hey, James Harden's on the market, what's your offer? I I, th- I would guess that there's at least four or five, um, that, that would end up being pretty appealing and then, um, you know, go from there. But I don't think Houston, you know, takes that drastic of a step. Uh, my guess is they, they at least run it back for half a season with this crew. And if you have to address it at the trade deadline, maybe you do it then. All right, man. We're out of time this week. Uh, make sure to check out rotowire.com, rotowire.com slash dash. We'll get you those free 10 days of access. We will be back on the air next Wednesday. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.